Amen. All righty. Hey, Freddie, check this out. You ready? Okay. Hey, that rhymes. Ready, Freddie? Yeah. <laughs> it just writes itself. I tell you what. It was a sunny morning in the big forest. That's right. And the bear family was just waking up. And so baby bear, he goes downstairs and he sits in his small chair at the table. But he looks into his bowl and he notices it's empty. And so he squeaks, who's been eating my porridge? You like that, Clint? I've been working on it. Okay. Right. And so, well, next, the papa bear, he arrives at the table, and he sits in his big old manly chair, and he, he too, looks into his bowl, and he sees it's empty as well. And so he roars out, who's been eating my porridge? Well, at this, the mama bear, she uh, puts her head out from the kitchen. She yells, for Pete's sake, how many times do we got to go through this? It was the mama bear who got up first. It was the mama bear who unloaded the dishwasher from last night and put everything away. It was mama bear who set the table. It was mama bear who put the cat out, cleaned the litter box, and, and, and filled the cat's food and water dish. And now you've decided to come downstairs and grace me with your presence. Well, listen good, because I'm going to say this one more time. I haven't made the stupid porridge yet. <laughs> oh, how many guys would say that mama bear is a little bit on the edge there? You know what I'm saying? Just a little bit there, a little bad day. Sound familiar, anybody? Don't raise your hand. You'll be walking home. I saw that Leonard, but that's right. No, whoa, she was having a rough day, was she not? I mean, right out of the gates. But that's right, folks. You always know, hopefully, there's a punchline coming. Believe it or not, did you know the Bible says there's a rough day coming for the whole planet, not just the big bear family, okay? And that unfortunate rough day is going to happen at the rapture of the church. And the reason why it's going to be a rough one, the worst one of your life, Okay, you're going to wish it was just getting no porridge. It's because for those who refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, the Bible is clear you will be catapulted into the seven-year tribulation, and that is not a joke. The Bible says it's an outpouring of God's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet, and that unless God shortened that time frame, nobody on the planet would survive. The whole human race would be destroyed. But as we've been seeing, the good news is God's not just a God of wrath. He's going to put an end to this evil and suffering. Anybody think that's a good thing? Yeah, that's a good thing. Okay, praise God. It's not going to go on forever. But two, we've been seeing he's a God of love as well. Okay, as we sang about early, the Father's love. And because he loves you and I, folks, he's given us so many warning signs to give us a heads up so we're not caught off guard, so we would know when the tribulation was near and when Christ's second coming was rapidly approaching. Therefore, to keep you and I here at sunrise from experiencing that ultimate bad day, hello, being left behind. Okay, we're gonna continue our study. That's right, the final countdown. The final countdown. And if you guys have been tracking with us, we've already seen the number 10 sign. That's right, Freddie, say countdown that's right countdown 10 number 10 sign on the final countdown was the jewish people right the number nine sign was that's right modern technology uh, number eight was worldwide upheaval and the last seven times who's counting apparently i am the last seven times was the rise of falsehood okay and what we saw was that god lovingly foretold you and i that when you see an increase of false christ false myths false teachings and false prophets spreading new age lies in the church like with hollywood and environmentalism and the food and population control and last time several weeks ago uh, with the lie of ufos and aliens that are trying to explain away God's next biggest prophetic event on his calendar, the rapture of the church. Uh, guess what that means? <laughs> it's an indicator from God, man. You are living in the last days. You got to choke it down, deal with it, whatever. It's time to get motivated, okay? But that's still not all. I'm still preaching on it, so guess what? There's got to be more. That's right, Mario. There's got to be more. You're on the ball. Uh, the number six sign on the final countdown is the rise of wickedness. Wow, this one blows me away because it's so obvious, is it not? And I'm not just talking wickedness. As we progress, you're going to see. We are talking, the Bible is going to say, it isn't just getting, going to get bad. It isn't just going to get wicked. I'm talking horrible wickedness. And dare I say, you're going to see, Lord willing, it's going to be satanic wickedness, even in the church. Wait a second. <laughs> you mean to tell me the last days, of, the Bible says that people are really going to get wicked, and they're going to get evil, and they're going to get bad, and they're gonna, things are going to get really, really rotten wherever you go, right before Jesus comes back? I mean, come on. Good thing we don't see any signs of that today, right now. So one of the most clearest signs in Bible prophecy, folks, we're in that generation. But don't take my word for it. Paul clearly said this. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. If you find 3 Timothy, what do you do? 
New Bible, that's right, no such thing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read verses uh, uh, 1 through 5. And man, I don't, again, I, how can you get any more clear than this, okay? He clearly says this is what's going to happen in the last days. As we read to this, folks, you tell me which one of these, if any one of these, is not already come to pass in our society today around the world, okay? Let's take a look. 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about godlessness in the last days, okay? Verse 1, here's what he says. But Mark, this Paul says, there's going to be great times leading up to the last days. As you all know, it's going to get better and better and better as the church leads the way back. No, that's a lie that people are promoting today. It's going to get worse. He says, but mark this, there's going to be terrible times in the last days. Why? Well, what's going to be the root of that? How do we know? I mean, that, that's a nebulous term, terrible times. What, what is that? Well, thanks for asking. Keep reading. People in that day, listen, will be what? Lovers of themselves. What? Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying his power. And so you've got to be sure to hang out with those people. <laughs> no, have nothing to do with them. You need to be separate is what he is clearly talking about there. But as you guys can see, uh, the Bible clearly says, and again, how do you get any clearer than this? Paul gives you a, a litmus test of that last day's society, and it's going to get absolutely wicked. What do he say? It's going to be not just wicked, it's going to be filled with absolute, unadulterated wickedness. Again, what did he say? That in that day, people are going to be selfish. They're going to be greedy and boastful and prideful and abusive and disobedient and ungrateful and unholy and unloving, unforgiving, out of control, brutal, evil, treacherous, rash, and conceited. Wow, we've got at least a good 50 years before that hits the scene. Every, listen, it isn't just one out of five. It isn't just half of them. Every single one of those wicked behaviors that Paul talked about nearly 2,000 years ago is commonplace now. Not 90% of them, every single one. Which means what? That means we're in the last day of society. I didn't say that, God did, right? It's right there in the text. But once again, the skeptic will probably say something like this. Well, come on, whoop de doo dah Wickedness, schmickedness, or whatever it is, okay? We've always had wicked behavior. And granted, throughout history, since the fall of man anyway, yes, we have had wicked behavior. But here's the point. What's not common, and this isn't even just in the last century alone. This isn't just the last few decades alone. We have seen a massive increase of every single one of those wicked behaviors that Paul mentioned there, and it's getting worse. And let me show you how fast it's changing, guys. Let's take a look at the change of America, our behavior in America, in just the last few decades. And you tell me if there isn't a rise of wickedness. This is the top disciplinary problems, okay, in America's schools, okay? And what you're going to see is just spanning a few decades from the 40s to the 80s. And dare I say, when you, obviously it's much worse. Okay, but listen to how fast things change here in our country. Can you believe the number one top disciplinary problem in the 1940s was talking? in school. Mary, those rebels, how did we ever survive the 40s? I don't know. Talking. Number one problem by the time the 80s hit was drug abuse. Rapidly, rapidly changing. Number two problem was chewing gum in the 40s. Can you believe that? That was number two, man. Number two, by the time 80s hit, folks, it changed to alcohol abuse. You wish they were chewing gum. Okay. Number three, the biggest problem was making noise. I'm guilty of that. As you couldn't tell in school. But anyway, that's right. Number three by the 80s was pregnancy. Wow, radically. The number four problem in the 40s was running in the hall, those rebels. How do we survive? Oh. Hey, the number four problem of the 80s was suicide. They ran into death. Man. Number five was getting out of line. I don't know how we can. How, how do we? Freddie, do you know how you? I'm not saying you lived back then. I'm, you're sitting on the front row. I got to pick on you. Get somebody else. <laughs> what? Got, number five in the 80s was rape. It changed that fast. Number six in the 40s was improper clothing. Get this, guys. This is wild. <laughs> I did some research. The people back in the 40s, you know what they did? And I think it carried on to the 50s, too. They took their denim jeans. They took their denim jeans and they rolled them like a little cuff at the bottom. <laughs> How did we survive? How did our... I could sing that song. What's that? Pants to the ground, whatever. I'm not going to say that. But anyway, that's right. Uh, robbery was the next one. They'll steal your clothes. 
Okay, and then the seventh one at the school was not putting paper in the waste paper basket, Al. I cannot believe the rebellious society we had in the 40s. And by the time the 80s came around, the number seven was assault. They will kill you and throw you in the trash for your clothes, right? Isn't that what, isn't what it says? Folks, I, and it's getting worse today. But I wanted to show you, folks, this is how rapidly, it's not just in the last century, it's just in the last few decades, folks, there has been a massive rise of wickedness, just like the Bible said would happen in the last days, right? Now, here's what's even wild. This is what blows me away. If we're honest with ourselves, it's getting so bad, it's getting so commonplace, this behavior, okay, that we're no longer even shocked at it, are we? I mean, it's just common knowledge. We, we, we expect it. It's the norm today, right? And it's getting worse. You cannot go to the movies without getting shot. You cannot walk outside your house without getting assaulted. And it's getting so stinking wicked that we have people who are not just assaulting each other. They're eating their faces off. And we act like it's no big deal. What else is on, honey? Go weather channel. Check out the weather channel. What's going on, North Carolina? And yet, here's the point. Hardly anyone realizes the prophetic significance of what we are seeing. Oh, if only I knew, Tom. Tom, if only I knew. How did, if we could figure out somehow, are we in that last day society? Just turn on your TV. Do you get the significance of this? Every single news station from around the world, every single day is broadcasting last days, last days, last days, when all they do is report, another person died, another person was murdered, another person did this, another greedy corporation, another this, another army, another... It's a sign we're in the last days. Just flip on your TV, right? Now, here's the question that I want to spin off our studies as Lord willing we continue, and that's this, how... How could there be such an explosion of wickedness in a short amount of time, especially here in America, with our godly heritage, right? How in the world could a great, strong, mighty Christian nation turn into this that we have to deal with today? Well, first, I want to answer that for the skeptic. Okay, and I want to back the train up a little bit and demonstrate that we really did have a godly heritage here in our America as our foundation, and I say that because the skeptic is going to say something like, well, come on, there you go again, Christian fundamentalist wacko. There is no proof that America was ever truly a Christian nation in the first place. Don't you know our founding fathers were secular? Anybody hear that? Now, if you were here in the 4th of July study, we saw that's not true. So I wanted to recap now, again, with a little bit of that information and some new information showing us that's a lie. Okay, and the skeptic, they'll come back to you and I, if you've been paying attention, they'll say, oh, no, 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 we have proof. We have proof that our country was secular from the beginning because our fathers demanded separation of church and state, right? How many heard that? As we've seen, what that means today, basically, is it means keep Christianity out at all costs, right? But people, that is a lie. I said it before, I'll say it again. The next time somebody comes to you and says, separation church and state, separation church and state, and that's what our founding fathers wanted, number one, ask them, where is that appear in the Bill of Rights? Where does that phrase, separation and church and state, appear in the Constitution? It ain't there. It came out of context, it's been used, from a letter in 1802 from Thomas Jefferson. And he wrote it to the Danbury Baptists of Connecticut, who wrote to him because they were concerned that another popular Christian denomination, at the time, the Congregationalists, were going to become so popular that they were going to be anointed, if you will, as the official Christian denomination of the United States. Now, first of all, notice the context is Christian and Christianity. Not Buddhism, not Islam, not Eastern mysticism, not everything under the sun. And Jefferson replied back in that letter, in the historical context, that he referred them to the First Amendment that reads, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. In other words, he had full confidence in the original attempt of the first, listen, in the historical context, this is what he meant by that phrase, he had full confidence in the original attempt of the First Amendment that would ensure that no Christian denomination would be chosen as the official Christian denomination of the United States. That's it. If you do the research, you look at the historical documents, that's what he meant by that phrase, separation of church and state. It had nothing to do with keep Christianity out. In fact, as we saw before, we're going to do a little recap. If you look at their words, they absolutely mandated it that you keep Christianity in. 
I didn't say that, they did. Let's take a look at similar quotes again. We review. First of all, our founding fathers on Christianity, were they secular? Well, let's take a look, folks. How about John Adams, you know, one of our many presidents? He said, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of what? How did we win? Christianity. That's what we found our country on. Without religion, notice the context, Christianity, this world would be something not fit to be mentioned in polite company, I mean hell. What if they ripped out of the schools and the courtrooms? And what kind of behavior do we have today? Should have listened to our president, folks, way back when. He said, I mean hell. The Christian religion is above all the religions that ever prevailed or existed, ancient or modern times, the religion of wisdom, virtue, equity, and humanity. John Jay, listen, the original chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Here's what he said. He said, mercy and grace and favor did come by who? Jesus Christ, by conveying the Bible to people, we certainly do them the most interacting act of what? Kindness. The original chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. He says the most effectual means of securing the continuance of our civil and religious liberties is always to remember with reverence and gratitude the source from which they flow. Where does it come from? The Bible is the best of all books for it's the word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and in the next. Continue, therefore, to read it and regulate your life by its precepts. Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, right? We can vote. And it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our what? Christian nation to select and prefer Christians as their rulers. Amen. Excuse me? One more from here. Benjamin Rush, or a couple more. He, he's the father of public schools under the Constitution. Here's what he says. The gospel of Jesus Christ prescribes the wisest rules for just conduct in every situation in life. Happy they who are enabled to obey them in all situations. And we're told you rip them out of the school? Hey, we've been lied to. We'll get to that in a second. The great enemy of the salvation of man, Satan, in my opinion, never invented a more effective means of limiting Christianity from the world than by persuading mankind that it was improper to read the Bible at schools. And what do we have today? He said that came from Satan. Excuse me, founding father. Christianity is the only true and perfect religion. And in proportion as mankind adopts its principles and obey its precepts, they will be wise and happy. The Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books. Let me give you another one. This is a Judiciary uh, Committee reading in Congress, 1854. This is absolutely clear. Had the people during the revolution had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity like today, that revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. In this age, there can be no substitute for Christianity. That was the religion of the founders of the republic and what they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants, us today. Amen. So how in the world could you say they didn't want Christianity? That's just a cursory reading of their quotes, folks, as you do them. And again, let's just uh, recap a couple of this. How about on education? You know, because we're told, well, get it out of the schools at least. Don't want to brainwash the kids. Okay? First of all, the first colleges formed in the United States, 123 out of 126 were formed on Christian principles. Okay? And not only that, up until 1900, it was very rare to find a university president who was not an ordained clergyman, a pastor. Excuse me? Uh, the New England Primer, America's first textbook used for 210 years, taught the alphabet like this. A, in Adam's fall, we send all. This is how kids learn the alphabet in school. C, Christ crucified for sinners died. Z, Zacchaeus, he did climb the tree, our Lord to see. Excuse me? Uh, George Washington made it crystal clear that American schools would teach Indian use the religion of Jesus Christ and Congress assisted in doing so. And in 1782, Congress had 10,000 Bibles printed for use in schools. Congress! And get this, folks, this is a new one. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, he wrote the first plan of education for the city of Washington, D.C. He adopted two textbooks. We saw this before. The new one's coming. The Bible <laughs> was number one textbook. And this is supposed to be one of the most secular supposed presidents and founding fathers. Here's what he adopted. The Bible and Watts hymnal, a church hymnal, chock full of scriptures and, and hymns. That was the textbooks, okay? And he hired clergymen to be the teachers. Not too bad for a secular guy, Right? And folks, check this out. This is wild. Wait until you hear. Where, you've heard of megachurches, right? America really did have a megachurch. Really did long before. Uh, Saddleback and the other ones came along. Wait till you hear where that megachurch was held. Check this out. This is a copy of what the first Bible printed in English in America looked like. This Bible was printed by the U.S. Congress in 1782. In the records, it says that this Bible was, quote, a neat edition of the Holy Scriptures for the use of our schools, end quote. So the first Bible printed in America in English was printed by Congress for the use of our schools. It's worse than that. 
in the front of the cover, it says that Congress resolved the United States and Congress assembled recommend this edition of the Bible to the inhabitants of the United States. So the first Bible printed in English in America was done by the guys who signed the documents, endorsed by Congress and done for the use of schools. And we're going to be told that they don't want any kind of religion and education. They don't want voluntary prayer. No, it doesn't make sense. This document by itself is fairly significant. But in 1830, Congress commissioned these four paintings over here to recapture what the official record said was the Christian history of the United States. So in these four paintings, you have really a span of several hundred years. If I take you through them chronologically, the first is back there, Columbus, landing in the Western world in 1492. Uh, they got out, they knelt down, they had a prayer service. You see the cross they have. They named the land where they had landed San Salvador, meaning Holy Savior, which tells you something of the thinking that was going on then. You come back over my shoulder here, this is the baptism of Pocahontas in Jamestown, and this was in 1613. Uh, over here, the fourth painting is 1620. This is the embarkation of the pilgrims coming to America. You see them gathered around the Bible there. You see the prayer meeting they're having. Now, if you just take those four paintings right there, those four paintings in this great secular hall of government, those four paintings represent two prayer meetings, a Bible study, and a baptism, which is not bad for a secular building. As a matter of fact, you're standing in what in 1857 was the largest church in the United States, is the U.S. Capitol. Back on December the 4th of 1800, uh, members of Congress, members of the Senate, Thomas Jefferson was over the Senate, you had John Trumbull over the House. They decided that on Sundays we would turn, turn the Capitol building into a church building. And starting on Sunday, we started having services in the Capitol. Now, six weeks after that, Thomas Jefferson became President of the United States. But for his eight years as president, he went to church here at the U.S. Capitol, listened to the sermons here at the Capitol, and being commander-in-chief, he decided he could help the worship here at the Capitol. He ordered the Marine Corps band to come play the worship services at the Capitol. Now, that'd be kind of cool having the Marine Corps band as your worship band, you know, in church. That church went for the better part of a century, and by 1857, there were 2,000 people a week that went to church in the hall of the House of Representatives. In addition to that, there were four other churches that met at the Capitol. First Congregational, was, this was their church home, as was First Presbyterian, as was Capitol Hill Presbyterian. Churches met here. There was nothing secular or seen to be secular about this building until the last 30, 40, 50 years. That, what you're looking at, was the largest church in America for decades. I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of thinking, man, we've been lied to. Huh? Well, what's the axiom? Well, how, how can people fall for this? Well, I don't know. It goes something like this. I believe, I've heard it said, uh, you repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough, people believe it. And if we rewrite our history books that are being taught in school, that'll help too. We have been absolutely lied to. Folks, when you take a look at the facts, our founding fathers clearly believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they clearly built our great nation on Him, right? <laughs> it gets worse. We've not only been lied to, but I'm telling you, folks, people are desperately trying to do just that. They're trying to cover it up. They don't want us to figure this out before it's too late. Recently, a publishing company here in America put a warning label on the Constitution. And I quote, Wilder Publications warns readers of its reprints of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, Common Sense, the Articles of Confederation, and the Federalist Papers, among others, that quote, this book is a product of its time and does not reflect the same values as if it were written today. This dis the disclaimer goes on to tell parents to warn them, you might want to discuss with your children how views on race, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, and interpersonal relations have changed since this book was written. It's one thing to rip us off of our foundation of our country, Christianity. But you have gone to the point now where you are actually going to put a warning label on the Constitution? <laughs> Folks, this is not just ludicrous, it's blasphemous to the original intent of our founding fathers. And so I said all that for the skeptic to prove the point. To get back to the question, how? How in the world did we get into this predicament? How did it happen? How did a once great mighty Christian nation, the United States of America, this great mighty nation turn into this rebellious wicked society? And people are now eating each other. Well, Daniel, thanks for asking. It works well with my notes. The first reason why is because we have allowed the promotion of a wicked worldview. It's the only one we can deal with today. 
We have allowed the premise of a wicked worldview. What I'm talking about, folks, is humanism. Humanism. And for people, you don't, most people don't realize, one, what humanism is, and I'll def define it for you in a second, but little do people know that the teachings of humanism and its atheistic ideals uh, have given rise to this massive wicked behavior that Paul mentioned in the text that we read. You need to understand, folks, this is not by chance that America has fallen from its Christian roots. There was a deliberate attack upon our nation from inside. And the humanists have come in to overturn our country, and, 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 and what they've done is they brought in basically this worldview. Humanism, if you don't realize, is the worldview basically that man is the center of all things. Humanism teaches that man is the center of all things. Now, obviously, that's diametrically opposed to the Bible, right? That says that God is the center of all things. That's what our founding fathers believed. That's what they founded this great nation upon. Where do we get these rights that we have mentioned in the Bill of Rights and the Constitution? They're endowed by our creator. It was God is the center of all things, okay? But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to their beliefs. This is their actual uh, manifesto that's called Humanist, Humanism 1 and 2 Manifesto, their belief system. See if any of these sound familiar uh, today. Let's take a look at that. First of all, they believe that faith and prayer hearing God assumed to live and care for persons, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them is an unproved and outmoded faith, okay? And uh, they also believe that we find insufficient evidence for the belief in the existence of a supernatural. We begin with humans, not God is what they believe. They say, we do not accept as true the literal interpretation of the Old and New Testaments. Are you starting to notice it's a deliberate attack on Christianity? Yes, it is, okay? They continue on. We include a recognition of an individual's right to die with dignity, euthanasia, suicide, birth control, and abortion. We believe that intolerant attitudes, often cultivated by orthodox religions and puritanical cultures, as Christianity, unduly repress sexual conduct. Divorce, they say, should be recognized. The many varieties of sexual exploration should not be considered as evil. Uh, we oppose any tyranny over the mind of man to shackle free thought. In the past, such tyrannies have been directed by churches and states attempting to be enforced by the edicts of religious bigots, okay, which would be uh, like pastors and others. Uh, promises of immortal salvation or fear of eternal damnation. You know, hell, you know, Jesus cared so much about people that he warned about hell twice as much than he ever talked about heaven because he doesn't want people to go there. But these guys say, no, 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 that's illusory and that's actually harmful. And then finally, another one they believe in, salvationism based on mere affirmation. You know, you believe and receive. It's a gift from God. You can't earn it. Still appears as harmful, diverting people with false hopes of heaven hereafter. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Now, whether or not you're familiar with humanism and how it began to, after the 1900s, started to infiltrate our society, folks, whether you realize it or not, and whether you are familiar with the belief systems, here's my question. How many of you realize that every single one of those behaviors and those beliefs are commonplace today? They're very familiar in our society, aren't they? And that's because, folks, you need to understand it was humanists. It was humanists that forced Bible, they forced prayer, and they forced the Ten Commandments out of our schools, out of our courtrooms, out of our government institution, under the guise that religion and education don't mix. You know, the lie of separation in church and state that's being used against us. And yet the irony is what most people don't realize is that humanism itself was considered a religion by the Supreme Court back in the 60s. And can you guess whose religion has been allowed to be taught in schools today? Humanism. Man is the center of all things. It's all about you. And today, faithful and godly teachers not only have to contend with the wicked behavior that we saw in the stats earlier in the classroom, they got to contend with the wicked goals of these humanist guys who have a different agenda of teaching our kids. Folks, I'm telling you, this you can call it conspiracy theory all you want. Oh, that's pretty wacky that they, they, they made a plan to deliberately subvert the United States and change us from the inside out. Yes! I didn't say it. They did. And they said, we're going to do it through the schools. Check this out. This is their direct quotes, folks. Uh, John Dewey, he's the father of our progressive education. And guess what? He also just happened to be the co-author of the first Humanist Manifesto and the honorary NEA president, National Education Association. He was a humanist. And here's what he believed. He said, there is no God and there is no soul. Hence, there is no need for the props of traditional religion. With dogma and creed excluded, the immutable truth is also dead and buried. There is no room for fixed uh, natural law or moral absolutes. It gets even worse. Or Orestes Brown said, another humanist, he said, our great object was to get rid of who? 
Christianity and to convert our churches into halls of science. The plan was not to make open attacks on religion, but to establish a system of state schools from which all religion was to be excluded and to which all parents were to be compelled by law to send their children. For this purpose, a what? Secret society was formed and the whole country was to be organized under within that. He admitted it. Paul Blanchard, another humanist, said, I think that the most important factor moving us toward a secular society away from God has been the educational factor. Our schools may not teach Johnny to read properly, but the fact that Johnny is in school until he is 16 tends to lead towards the elimination of religious superstition. Is what he said there. It gets even worse. Charles Potter said, education is thus the most powerful ally of humanism. Listen to the dripping mockery. And every school is a school of humanism. What can a theistic Sunday schools meeting for an hour once a week and teaching only a fraction of the children do to stem the tide of the five-day program of humanistic teaching? Gets even worse. Uh, Bozarth, he said this, we must ask how we can kill the God of Christianity. We need only to ensure that our schools teach only secular knowledge. That's why Bible and prayer and the Ten Commandments were uh, taken out. If we could achieve this, God would indeed be shortly due a funeral service. John Dunphy said, I'm convinced that the battle for mankind's future must be waged in one where? In the public school classroom by teachers who correctly perceive the role as proselytizers of a new faith, the religion of humanity. These teachers must embody the same selfless dedication as the most rabid fundamentalist preachers for they will be ministers of another sort, utilizing a classroom instead of a pulpit to convey humanist values in whatever subject they teach. Regardless of educational level too, preschool, daycare, large state university, the classroom must and will become an arena of conflict between the old and the new, the rotting corpse of Christianity and the new faith of humanism. And one more, this is what they're preparing the kids for. A Harvard professor and educational psychiatry said, quote, every child in America entering school at the age of five is mentally ill because he comes to school with certain allegiances towards our founding fathers, toward elected officials, towards his parents, towards a belief in a supernatural being, towards the sovereignty of this nation as a separate entity. And it is up to you, teachers, to make all these sick children well by creating the international children of the future. Can I translate that for you? I got some videos, maybe I'll show them later. The UN is wanting to completely remove all parental rights over your children because they believe that the kids don't belong to us anymore. They belong to them because they are preparing them for the international future. Can I translate that for you? For the new world order. I'm not making this up, folks. These are direct quotes. See, it's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? But that's the facts, and they admit it. I don't know about you, but I'd say they got a little bit different agenda for teaching our kids, don't they? I mean, I mean, boy, we've been duped. We thought it was just, well, get in there and get, you know, get a good job and learn some reading and writing and arithmetic and you know, all that good stuff. And, and we don't even realize what's, what's going on. They admit it, folks, okay? They are using our kids to turn them away from God and indoctrinate them in humanism to prepare them for the new world order. In fact, if you don't believe me, I got a lady who used to work for them. And she wrote a book called The Dumbing Down of America. Heard of it? She admits they're using schools. It ain't about education. They're using schools to turn our kids away from God and national sovereignty, the greatness that used to be America. And they can do it just like that. Watch this. Take a look. My name is Charlotte Thompson Iserbay, and I served as senior policy advisor in the United States Department of Education uh, under the Reagan administration, during which I had access to uh, all of the most important documents uh, for the restructuring of not only American education, but uh, global education. And I'm also the author of The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America, which gets into all of this, gives the background of what I saw not only in the Department of Education, but as a local school board member. Just to give you an idea of how blatant they are, uh, Benjamin Bloom uh, said the purpose of education, and I often say this to parents really listen to this 
you think the purpose of education is reading, writing, and arithmetic? The purpose of education is to change the thoughts, actions, and feelings of students. And then he goes on and he says, um, he defines good teaching, and this is even worse from the parental standpoint, as challenging the students' fixed beliefs. And then, in some of his works that I have, that are in my book, a lot of this stuff is in When he says challenge, does he mean challenge or does he mean change? Change their Yeah, through challenging. It's through challenging. You go up against them and you, you, you change them. And you asked a good question because then he goes on in one part of the taxonomy that is in my book, uh, he says that he can take a student from here to there, from a belief in God or his country or whatever, to being an atheist and not believing in his country in one hour. Oh yeah, he does it. And I've seen it with students. I've seen it with young people. Man, how do we go from the, some of the top problems was chewing gum and talking to rape and murder and how in the world did things get so wicked? Years ago when I first started studying humanism and how I came into it here in the United States, it dawned on me, I wonder if that's who they are. You ever hear that phrase? Well, that's what they said. Well, haven't you heard what they said? It was they, well, they, they told us, they, they, I was, I, I, maybe it's just me, inquiry minds want to know, who's they? I put the acronym together, they, T-H-E-Y, those humanists educating you, is where all this stuff is coming down. Why did things get so wicked? How did America fall from being a once great mighty Christian nation? What did we just see? Deal with it, folks. I've had a stomach get down. But how can we fix it if we won't admit the problem? It's because there has been a deliberate attack on our country from the inside. It's from a wicked worldview called humanism and they've hijacked our schools and they're using the schools to convert our kids. And it's worked so well that for many generations now, the average person today, dare I say even Christians, think that the answer to the ills of our society, i.e. the wickedness we see today, is not God. It is the human spirit, the triumph of the human spirit. You know, humanism. And little do they realize that they're actually following the teachings of the king of wickedness, Satan. That's where that lie began. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 through 5. You will not surely die. Satan said to uh, Eve, the servant said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Wait a second, you mean to tell me that this teaching that man is the center of all things, you get to be your own God, you get to determine what is good and evil and right and wrong, you mean that started with Satan? Yeah. And so is it any wonder, folks, that there's been a massive rise of wickedness in these last days? The devil has tricked us, and we're getting eaten from the inside out. We got to wake up, and we got to get motivated. Now, the sad thing is, did you know, how many of you guys heard of Paul Harvey? Let's tell you the rest of the story. Did you know that Paul Harvey warned about this subversive attack on our nation nearly 50 years ago? I wish we would have listened back then. Here's what he said. Let's take a look. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth, I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. 
And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. What'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Nineteen sixty-five. Makes you wonder what would happen if we were to listen, not just with our ears, but with our hearts and with our actions to Paul Harvey way back then, if things would be a little bit different today. We've allowed the devil to do what he's done unrestrained. And he's using humanism that's infiltrated our public school system to get the job done. Folks, I'm not here to freak you out. I'm here to educate you and motivate you as Christians as any good pastor would and should. There is hope, you know. There is still time, you know. This is not a time to get apathetic. Are you kidding me? Do the research yourself on our founding fathers. You talk about men who were bold and who always had faith in God against seemingly impossible odds. Our founding fathers knew that if we as a nation ever did get off track, all we needed was for the church to get back on track and lead society on the way back to God. But if we're going to get there, we have got to get a spiritual backbone back like our founding fathers had, who not only declared, give me liberty or give me death, but give me Jesus Christ until my dying death. We have got to get motivated now. Stop being apathetic. Get busy putting Jesus Christ back into our government, back into our schools, back into our courtrooms, and dare I say, back into our pulpits. Why? Because that will turn our nation around before it is too late. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, God will hear us from heaven. He will forgive us our sins. He will turn our once great nation into a great nation again if we, the church, lead the way back. Let's be that church. All it takes is one. Wouldn't that be God's already done some mind blowers here at sunrise, has he not? We have the privilege to reach 193 countries with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be the ultimate mind blower? If God would use us, yes, us, us, myself included, a bunch of crackpots, messed up people, to start a revival that would spread across our nation. One church. Christians who would stop fighting against each other, who would start working together as God's team, one mind, one Lord, 
one vision, one direction, with one gospel. And we can turn this nation around by the Spirit of God. He's not handcuffed on his throne in heaven. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, what in the world more does God have to do? <laughs> he loves you. He doesn't want you to go in the seven-year tribulation. Are you kidding me? This is why he's giving you the rise of wickedness, the sign today, to flip on your TV, to show you that the tribulation is near and the second coming of Jesus Christ is rapidly approaching. This is why Jesus made this statement, Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to take place, when you can just flip on the tube and see this wickedness, what do you do? You better stand up, lift up your head because your redemption is drawn near. In other words, Jesus Christ can come back at any time. And you don't want to miss the rapture. And if that's you, don't leave today without crying out to Jesus and asking him to forgive you. Become a part of God's forever family. Be headed to heaven, not to hell. It could happen today. If he's tugging at your heart, be obedient and be blessed. Come forward when the invitation is given. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. 
He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.